my laundry hamper might not be so heavy if you could listen to this. And that's really tough. And I know that that's going to make people bristle. And I, and understandably so, like I imagine that if I didn't do this work, it would sound self-righteous at best, you know, to hear someone tell me like, you know, like if, if the load were shared a little bit, like maybe I wouldn't have such a tough time at Harris Teeter while I'm checking out my groceries. Hey everyone. Welcome to I've Been Better. I'm your host, Susan Youngstead. And today on our episode, y'all are gonna get to meet my colleague, coworker, friend in service, who's just become a friend in the social work world. I can't talk today. Um, So today I wanna introduce Lee. Lee is a social worker in Wake County. She's been here since about 2015, so going on six years now. And She has an angel puggle who she's hopefully going to let us see today. We are recording via Zoom, so this will be really exciting if we get to see his face. (laughs) And Lee is really good at identifying songs from our childhood off the cuff. So maybe we'll get to hear a little bit about that too. Um, But Lee has been a huge inspiration to my life. We may have only known each other while I was in grad school and she was working, but Lee made my time at my internship so much fun. And what we did was really difficult work. And I looked forward to coming to work every single day. I couldn't wait till I got in there. And then we stayed really close even after I left. So I felt like it was a relationship that was gonna last even after I went out into the workforce and into the real world. So welcome, Lee. Thank you, Susan. God, that intro got me already. That was <laughs> such a good intro, thank you. You're so welcome. So Lee, <laughs> share anything that I may have missed or tell us just a little bit about yourself. No, that that was a lovely intro. Thank you. Um, My puggle, which for folks who don't know, is um, a pug and a beagle mix. Um, His name is Jean Ralphio, for those who are familiar with (laughs) Parks and Recreation. (laughs) He is named for the character Jean Ralphio, and he is my angel. Um, And he is actually with his dad downstairs right now because he um, is a bit attached to his mother. Understood. And is not always quiet about it. So if he's well behaved, he will make a cameo perhaps at the end. But he's safe and secure downstairs right now. Perfect. Perfect. We understand. Uh, one of our previous episodes, I was holding Jasmine in my lap because she is very much the same. Um, for those of you who don't know, we have a Chiwini. So she is a Dachshund Chihuahua mix. <laughs> who's about 25 pounds. And she had to be sitting in my lap during a recording. And then her foot got caught in my headphone wire and she jumped down and like ripped <laughs> my headphones off. <laughs> so we get it. The dogs have to stay out during recordings. So as we said before, um, Lee and I are doing this via a webcam recording because of COVID. And we really actually haven't had an opportunity to see each other in person other than one time this year, socially distanced, outside, masked up in quite some time because life has been really crazy. And so I'm really grateful that Lee decided to forego tutoring this morning. So Lee tutors. <laughs> Lee's really involved with the community. She's really involved with young people and she really likes to help young people. Um, so tell us a little bit about what you've been doing lately. Let's see, what have I been doing lately? Well, I adopted my angel, Jean Raffio, um, about three months ago. Um, I have started to tutor just um, some friends, teenage children, um, because, you know, once this pandemic hit and I was hearing stories of friends with children and just how difficult it is to all of a sudden be, you know, a parent and mm-hmm. a full-time employee and 
you know, a housekeeper and a teacher and a tutor just all in one day. <laughs> all at the like, same time. Yeah. And I was like, well, that just sounds like the most overwhelming situation I've ever heard. So if you would like for me to take your 15 year old off your hands for an hour and <laughs> maybe try to help convince them to do their homework, then I'm willing to do that. So that's what I've been doing. Um, I also recently started contract work as a Title IX investigator, awesome. which um, has always been something that I've been interested in doing. I fortunately, um, well, I guess fortunately and unfortunately haven't had to do any investigations yet, um, mm-hmm. but when that happens, that will be a new adventure for me. Um, will you and- share a little bit about what a Title IX investigation is when it comes to working at a college university? Yeah, so Title IX investigator means that I investigate potential violations to what's known as the Title IX of the Education Amendments of 1972. And what that means is, <laughs> if anyone's heard of Title IX, usually it's used for like to talk about sports in public institutions educational institutions, everything from elementary school to college, right? Like if we have a baseball team, we have to have a softball team because of, you know, gender equity. But more broadly, what it means is that it's a federal law that says that you can't discriminate against anyone on the basis of sex if you get federal funding for your educational institution, right? So any public school cannot discriminate against someone based on their sex. and thereby, you know, hindering their ability to receive the same standard of education, right, as anyone else. So what that means now in present day is not just sex. We're talking about, you know, gender, all all gender sex-related um, discrimination, which includes domestic violence, sexual harassment, everything from sending inappropriate texts to, um, you know, full-on in-person rape and sexual assault. So right. it covers that gamut. Um, and for those who are like, oh man, that's really heavy. I, that heavy is what I do. Um, yes. and so I, I was actually really excited for this opportunity. It's something <laughs> I've always wanted to do. So, um, yeah, I'm really thrilled Yeah. So, that. you know, like you said, unfortunately, and yet fortunately you haven't had to do any investigations, but I think you and I both know that that speaks to underreporting, not that those things aren't happening. Precisely. Yeah. I want, I want listeners to know that I don't wish sexual assault on anyone. That's not what I meant, but you know, we know statistically that, you know, sexual assaults are happening right every single day um, in this country. And so if we're not getting reports, it isn't necessarily an indication that they're not happening. So um, right. that's what I meant when said, unfortunately. Um, so. Right. Right. Well, and your job wouldn't exist if these things didn't happen. Correct. At the end of the day, it is our goal to go and not have a job, you know, Correct. years yeah. and years and years from now. Our, our yes. goal is to put ourselves out of work. But as you said, you know, you do contract work to investigate these things. That's what you signed up for. And yet they're not happening so that you can help these people, which is right. very difficult. Yeah. And speaking to the tutoring, you know, I work with teenagers and oh my gosh, the, you know, what I hear about the kids struggling with online school, I can imagine that, you know, you have this personality that I feel like really clicks with teenagers. And so I can imagine that parents are super grateful to get you to come work with their kids for a little while. What were you telling me that one story about how you were in a classroom or you went somewhere to teach some kids something and you were like, no, you have to do this, even though it's really hard, you have to learn how to do it. I don't remember remember now. I think it was just something like with virtual learning, which let's be honest, guys, like if if I were in 
you know, a situation in a classroom where, you know, I had to do all virtual. I mean, it would be, it would be a train wreck disaster. I mean, there's no way I would have had the academic success that I earned and was also afforded, you know, growing up. But, you know, I, one of the kids I was tutoring recently was like, um, you know, didn't really like their teacher. Mm-hmm. And they're like, they gave me this assignment that I don't understand. And I don't, I don't like her. So I don't want to do it. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay. And he was like, well, what do you mean? Okay. I was like, well, you still got to do it, man. <laughs> he was like, well, yeah. why? I was like, well, what do you mean? Why? I was like, well, what do you think is <laughs> going to happen if you don't do it? And he was like, well, I guess I'll fail. And I was like, well, yeah. <laughs> is that okay with you? And he was like, well, no, I don't want to fail. And I was like, Good. Yeah, I, don't, I don't, I don't, I think we're at an impasse here. <laughs> like, I mean, I don't, <laughs> don't want to do 90% of the things I have to do every day, but like here I find myself, you know, like, right. I, right. I like, I, I hear you that you don't want to do it. Like I hear you that you're just not into it. And I, I completely understand, but here we are. So like, yep. I we think live I, in America and you got to go to school. I think I literally said, get your shit together. I mean, I, I think mm-hmm. I, I truly audibly said that to him and he was like, what? And I was like, yeah, like you just, did a adult just, just tell gonna, me to get my just shit gonna together have to get your shit together. I don't know what to tell you. Like, I, like, I, just, <laughs> I, I hate it for you. I really do. It's but, the truth though. Right. And as we were saying, it doesn't discount the struggle. It doesn't discount how difficult this is. And yet the reality is we still have to do it. Of course. Kids still need to go to school. It'd be really great if you passed, It'd be really great if you learned something. So we're not two years behind after all this passes. Yeah. And I think that's a struggle for me just as a tutor, as a social worker, as a, as a human being, you know, and especially in this country that like to, to empathize that like something is hard, like, of course it's hard, you know, Mm -hmm. like you still getting it done because it's something that's necessary doesn't negate how difficult it is. And I I struggle with that balance too. Like I, I want, I wanted this child in particular, but just people in general that I encounter to like, I want you to know that just because I'm suggesting that this is really important that you get this done doesn't mean that I think it's easy by any means. Right. It's probably one of the more difficult things you're going to be asked to do in you know recent time, but mm-hmm. you still got to get it done. So right. that's, that's, and a, it might be difficult for them to see why they have to do it when it's difficult, right? Exactly. Like what the, the end result will be that delayed, not gratification for something difficult, but the delayed end result from that and how going to school, for example, builds on each other. So you need to do that. What feels like worthless work in ninth grade. So you can get to 11th grade. Exactly. And, you know, for, you know, we've had the fortune again and privilege of like, you know, graduating from multiple schools, multiple times in our lives. And so we can, (laughs) we have the, you know, we have the, the fortune of, you know, retrospection to look back and be like, oh man, mm-hmm. I'm really glad I didn't blow off that entire class my freshman year because I would have mm-hmm. been screwed, you know? Like, but we, again, I I say we, meaning the two of us, but I, I myself, you know, really have that, you know, the fortune of retrospection to look back and be like, oh man, I'm really glad I got that done because that would have been a disaster. And, you know, at mm-hmm. 15, you might not have that experience yet. Yeah. Well, how cool is that, that you get to even touch if it's a handful of young people and be like, Hey, I know this is really hard. You've got someone in your corner and I need you to do it anyway. So I'll be here with you. I'll hold your hand, but you're going to do it. Yeah. You just have to, or your mom's going to kill you. So if for nothing else, do (laughs) it. Mom's going to kill you. Something's going to happen. (laughs) Yes. And we don't want that either. So tell us a little bit about, you already mentioned how things were going a little bit in your world pre post 
beginning of the pandemic. I don't mm-hmm. even know what phase of the pandemic we're in now at this point. It's all relative. The phases are relative, to be I honest. know. They're just, they're, yeah, agreed. When I reached out to you and said, hey, I'm starting this podcast, really would like you to be on, here's what it's called. And then I sent you, you know, these lovely little forms that say, hey, think about a time that comes up for you when you hear I've been better. What came up for you? So it's it's funny when you sent me that form, and isn't this always the way? And it sounds trite, but it's it's true it's true in this situation. Um, I cook a lot, so I go to the grocery store a lot. One because it saves money, and two because I'm bored and it gives me something to do. So um, <laughs> going to Trader Joe's has been the highlight of my you, 2020. Trader Joe's is keeping it really organized during this pandemic yep. too. I mean, I've never seen such the like the organization and discipline and yes, adherence. To it's comparable signs. to the Chick Fil A drive through line. It really, I mean, it it's and I love that, right? Like that's I'm most, I applaud it. I really do. It's not an easy task to accomplish in these conditions, but people are getting it done at Trader Joe's. So yes. shout out to Trader Joe's. But <laughs> so I go to the grocery store a lot, and I promise this is this will be relevant. <laughs> So grocery store associates are really good in my experience of asking how you're doing. Mm-hmm. Like it's something that people just do. I mean, like all day, every day, whenever I go to the grocery store, someone is always going to ask me, Hey, how are you doing? Mm-hmm. Like it's just going to happen. Um, and so I oftentimes go to the grocery store at the end of the day, which is a terrible idea, but it's where I find myself. And so I had a particularly long day at work um, a few weeks ago. And of course the, sales associate who was checking out my groceries is like, how are you doing today? And I like with the heaviest sigh I could muster was like, (laughs) I'm fine. Like just as if the sigh wasn't going to give it away, I guess. Like, I guess I was like, thought I was being super convincing that if I let out this this, subconscious release of like, hello, everything's not fine. Yeah. It's like, if I let out this like gust of a sigh, (laughs) like it's no, they're still going to believe me. It's fine. So like, I let out this like incredibly heavy sigh and then I just smiled was like I'm fine like I was like oh I totally it's like they bought it like I yes, like, walked away we're like, good. super proud of myself like mm-hmm. there's no way they know that I'm not doing fine um what did you actually, buy huh what did you buy what did I buy I don't even know Do you remember I love Italian food like and let me clarify for people who are actually Italian or have Italian line- <laughs> lineages or like know anything about actual Italian food, I'm about to be really offensive Our to food you. is trash. Correct. It's my version of Italian food, which someone who has any sort of connection to Italy at all or to the culture of Italy would probably not even feed to an animal. So like, <laughs> that's my version of Italian food. So that's what probably something with a marinara based sauce um, was what I was purchasing if I Perfect. were a betting woman. Love yeah. it. Um, My stomach hurts just thinking about it. Yeah, see, I mean, it just, some people are like, how, I mean, how dare you? But here we are. <laughs> I mean, yeah, ignorance is bliss. So yeah, I would, I, I had actually just had like a really difficult day at work. Um, and I was just like, but I'm fine. And I totally was. I mean, I was literally the opposite of fine, like emotionally, physically, cognitively, just like in in shambles at the end of that mm-hmm. day like a, a human pile of dirty laundry in a hamper like it's really mm-hmm. really That's a great visual feeling. thank you I mean it's just smelly and useless and in the way like <laughs> you are like, not useless but like that's how I felt like physically I was like I got nothing left in the tank like you know that that level of exhaustion that comes from like either crying all day or like um going on like a really long like 
road trip that you're not super psyched about, like just that level of just like, like exhaustion, Mm -hmm. like feeling heavy in every sort of way. And just, you really just want to collapse like a pile of laundry. Like that's, Mm -hmm. that's exactly how I felt. Um, yeah. So that, that was, that was the last time that I really felt like I'm not fine. I'm going to say that I'm fine until I can get through the threshold of my front door. But Mm -hmm. I mean, but I am really not fine. Yeah. How was it when you walked through the threshold of your door? I mean, I think um, my partner was there and I think I just like lobbed him the groceries, like (laughs) shoved them (laughs) into his chest and like picked up my dog and like immediately like went upstairs like stealing. (laughs) Bye. Have a good night. Here's your food. I might have kissed him. I might have said, hey, baby, how are you? I might have. I don't even know. I don't even know if I gave him that. I might have given him a kiss. I'm usually good about that. But like, I think I literally like took off my shoes and like got my dog yeah. immediately went upstairs. It was like, I'll see you in 10 minutes, but I didn't say yeah. that. I just walked away. Like, it's not gonna happen. <laughs> like he gets it. He knows. He didn't even say anything either. Bless his heart. He's an angel. Like, he just took the groceries in his arms. I was like, okay, let's just like, walk right. into the kitchen and started unloading <laughs> them. What a prince. Yeah. 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 And in the work that you do, I can imagine that this isn't the first time you've had a day like that. No, they, they're pretty regular. They're pretty regular. And I, so as you, you know, described, I'm a social worker, but I, I won't say the primary role that I serve in, but a lot of the content of what I mm-hmm. do as far as social work is with, is with sexual abuse. Um, so the title nine thing and, you know, sexual, yeah. it's just, it's a thing and it's not for everyone, but it's, it's something I'm good at and something I'm passionate about. So it's, it's the kind of social work that I do. And, but as, I mean, one might surmise like it's super heavy sometimes. Um, it's mm-hmm. graphic. Um, it's it's emotionally taxing, and it's not a situation in my role as a social worker, but particularly in my role in the kind of social work that I do, um, that I can really express a whole lot of empathy or a whole lot of just expression of any you know responding emotion. I guess is how I'll put it, because um, it's not the place. Um, working with yeah so you you have to withhold how you're feeling at the moment pretty regularly yeah and it's not um it's not a lack of vulnerability thing it's not um I call it emotional constipation which people don't like but I think it's like you get it right it's like oh yeah absolutely it's not it's it's not that it's a it's not good for those children or young you know like young adults in that moment like they don't need my emotion they don't need my emotional reaction yeah they need need you to to be stoic Yes. yes, they need a place. They need they need to look at me as literally a mannequin, mm-hmm. but a mannequin that's easy to talk to. It's this <laughs> a weird pretty balance. nice one. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, like a like a decently funny one, um, decently easy to talk to one, but also <laughs> one that isn't going to make it about them. And that can be anything from like a you know a bug eyed like facial expression mm-hmm. or just like saying a boneheaded like off comment like oh that sucks you know like stuff that we would do in our normal lives it's not not always helpful for these Mm -hmm. for these folks and so really keeping that at bay is not something that's natural for me (laughs) it's not something that you know I enjoy doing um but it's it's what they need and so I, I try my best to give that to them because this is a space for them to start their process of sharing their stories with me not the other way around and so at the end of the day, I'm, I'm literally full of these, of these potentially horrifyingly traumatic stories mm-hmm. that I just absorb throughout the day, as is my job, right? And then at the end, like, I really, like, I'm, I'm done. I'm, I'm full. 
literally, physically, cognitively, emotionally, like I was at the grocery store that day. I, I'm full and I have nothing else. I have nothing else. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's really heavy. And you, yeah. as you said, you <laughs> you absorb these stories from individuals who are having to potentially relive a very scary and vulnerable situation for themselves, absolutely, which is heavy enough for them. And then you share that load by putting it on your shoulders. And then as you said, that's your job. So when you leave work, you know, many people think about a nine to five where they get in their car, put their seatbelt on, okay, take my mask off, I'm ready to go into the world as my self, not as my role self as I am at work. But this sort of work follows you. Yes. And I've, I'm, I'm fortunate to do social work where I'm not on call and I'm not, you know, um, I'm not carrying necessarily a caseload, um, currently right now. And so I'm, I'm, I'm want to say how fortunate I am because a lot of social work does require that. Um, and it makes sense, right? If someone's going through something potentially traumatic, you don't just meet them once and then say, peace, like have a nice life. You know, you, you, you are that support system for that motivator for them as they continue their journey of healing. That's just not my role. My role is very much like I'm a wide receiver, you know, like I'm going to catch this ball that's like chucked at me, but like, then I'm done. Like I'm going to run it into the end zone and then I'm going to give it to an official and be like, okay, bye. Like, you know, like that's, that's where I serve right now. And so, um, at the end of the day, I'm lucky that I can, you know, get in the car and put on my seatbelt and say, like, I'm done, take off my mask and say, I'm done with this day. But for the end of that day, you know, from 5 p.m. to 8 p.m., I still am carrying a a hamper full of really smelly laundry that's really Mm -hmm. heavy that I'm lugging with me to Harris Teeter until about 8 (laughs) p.m. I'm just, I'm useless. Yeah. And if you happen to cross paths with someone, as you typically do at the grocery store, that says, hey, how are you? How's your day been? I can imagine your internal reaction is, wouldn't you like to know what I've done it's all day worst. long? What I want to say is, it's horrible. <laughs> and I How's want, your day been? Right. And I want to be clear. It's not, I don't, the folks I work with, I don't begrudge them these traumatic stories. No. I want to be clear. Like I, I am privileged to do this work. I think this mm-hmm. work matters and it's not, not to be self-righteous, like I matter, but like I, I, I got into social work to do stuff that matters. I wanted a career that really impacted change, um, or at least to make a really solid attempt on a daily basis to really impact change. Mm-hmm. And so I, I, I don't begrudge these stories. I'm not, I'm not angry that people share them with me. I, I want to be clear about right. that, but I, I feel privileged to hear them because they're often stories that will never be told again. to maybe even anyone else besides me ever, which is, a bizarre thing, right? Yeah. Um, but it's also like, they're so heavy. And so I also know that people don't really want to hear them. <laughs> and again, I want to, you know, for folks who are listening statistically, there are folks who will listen to this who may have been sexually abused. And I want to, I want to tell you listeners that like, I don't mean that no one cares and that no one wants to listen, but it's tough to listen to. Yeah. You know? It's tough to say and it's tough to listen to. And so, you know, earlier in my career, I would tell people, I mean, I really take them at face value and say, like, how was your day today? And I told them and I literally, I mean, people looked like they were going to vomit. I mean, like people looked like they were going to start crying. And so 
when I got those reactions, I was like, like, well, I guess I shouldn't tell you. I guess I shouldn't tell you these things. Well, and there's a level of emotional maturity and ability to handle the information that we share. So as you said, you know, for anyone listening who may have experienced sexual trauma, sexual violence, any sort of abuse or neglect in your life, there are absolutely people out there that want to help you and are there to support you and you never deserved what has happened to you. And I know that they can understand how heavy it is because they're carrying it too. So then that's what unfortunately keeps people from sharing these sort of stories because we're too afraid of what's going to happen when we share it. More than likely, they've had a really negative reaction when they've made bids or attempts to share little tidbits of information. Of course. And then when they get the, the ghostly white face, like, oh my God, I'm, please don't say another word. I'm going to freak out. I mean, of course they Mm -hmm. don't. Well, not of course, but it's completely understandable that you wouldn't share that anymore because if that's the reaction that you get, which is again, to circle back why I do this work is because I want people to know that like, it is not too much for some people to listen to. It is not too much. Like what might have happened to you is not too much because it is what it it is. Absolutely. You know, if it, if it is what you believe happened to you, then it is not too much. However, it is not for everyone. Right. That's what I'll right. say. And I think that finding that line for me as a person out in the world who also does this work, I have to be really careful. And so what I've, what I've come to do now is say, do you really want to know? I mean, I literally say that. Like I've been at like um, wedding receptions uh-huh. and people will ask me what I do and I'll say, I'm a social worker. And they'll say, oh, well, like, you know, if anyone who's familiar with that profession knows that there's so many ways mm-hmm. to be a social worker, like... Susan and I don't do the same kind right. of social work, but we intersect with many of the same, I don't want to even say populations because it's even more diverse than that. Um, it's, but the same clientele, the same folks, um, but it's, but it's mm-hmm. different how we serve. And so people assume, and rightfully so, that I'm either a therapist or I work at a hospital or I work at a school because. Or you work for you know, CPS. Are, sure. Because, and, and I, and I used to, so. <laughs> Those are, those are all great yeah. guesses, right? Because, you know, that's where people a lot of times intersect with mm-hmm. someone with the title of social worker. And then when I say, no, I actually, you know, do this. And they're like, oh, well, like, what do you mean? Like you work with like, with abuse, you know? And I'm like, I, I look at them now and I say, do you really want to know? And some people take that and they say, you know what? I don't, but thank you for asking. I mean, yeah. they know themselves they know what they're in for and they're like, I yeah. can't. They may well, have like, been I, asking I because it was a pleasantry, right? To try to get of to course. know you. And I, com- and I completely yeah. understand and I respect it. And that's why I'm giving right. you an out, right? Like I'm giving you an out that you don't have to listen to yeah. this if you can't or don't aren't in a place. But if people press, they say, well, no, absolutely. I will tell yeah. them. One, because I'm very much a person who strives to do this herself and strives to promote this like out in my daily life that like mean what you say you know like if you tell me to do something I'm going to do it I'm not going to look for your tone I'm not going to try to be a mind reader because we are all Mm -hmm. responsible for our own vocalizations (laughs) (laughs) so you know like if you say something okay here Mm -hmm. we go we're gonna do it um and so I, I will tell them and a lot of time. I mean, I've brought people to tears. I mean, absolutely strangers. I've brought to tears. And of course I never share, you know, client information. It's the most generic version of the description that I can come up with in that moment. I mean, but people have literally wept to me, um, just upon hearing what I did mm-hmm. that day. Um, 
And so, and so, yeah, it's, it's, it's tough, but you know, the other side of that, which I think is equally, if not more so important is like, people need to know that this happens. Like we read the statistics, like I see the Instagram posts and I see, you know, like the, the running headlines on a news story, you know, but those are the ones that make it to the Mm -hmm. news. You know, those are the ones that have millions of dollars in attorney fees and millions of dollars in, you know, I don't want to say marketing, but in getting that word Mm -hmm. out and between the time that something, you know, allegedly happened to someone or someone allegedly did something to someone else and the time that it comes to, you know, a national conviction that shared so much has happened in between. And it's such a rarity that we, that we come to it on such a big scale and such a publicized scale. And so I want people to know how big of a problem this is and how prevalent it is. And so, you know, I ask people for an out, you know, I asked, do you really want to know for an out? But if you say you want to know, I'm going to tell you you because you need to know. And here's the thing, well, we're giving them an out or you're giving them these outs out of common courtesy and not sure if you want to get into it in the environment that you're in. One day we might need to start, today's the day on all honesty, to start shying away from being comfortable all the time. You know, it just, while you were talking, this might be a little bit of a different segue, but it made me think about the, I believe it was the Brock Turner case. I don't want to misspeak. Mm -hmm. So if someone wants to fact check me, that's fine. Um, But Laverne Cox, I believe was there for something, or maybe, I think I might be mixing two cases up so we can scratch some of this. But anyway, someone was on Brene Brown's podcast that I was Mm. listening to, and they were talking about being present for a sexual assault or rape case. And Mm -hmm. she went to the bathroom. And there was another woman in there who was saying, you know, oh, wow, you know, can you believe what the young lady was sharing? And you know, this individual who was in support of the young lady was like, yeah, you know, Mm can't believe you know I can believe it you know it's really hard to hear and the other lady goes I just wish she could remember a little bit more Mm -hmm. and this woman who was an advocate said that's why why would we want to remember those things if Mm -hmm. you're telling me that this is hard for you to hear imagine being the one living with it yeah yeah and that you know I'm so glad that you brought that up one because people need to remember that case, mm-hmm. right? And two, because I think that's also such a huge part of what I do that isn't in the moment with my clients, but it's it's everything outside of it. And it's, it's, that, it's that struggle. It's that struggle of people saying, you know, I just wish she remembered more, but it's almost like so that I don't have to think yeah. about it and I don't have to figure Give it out. Give me all the facts and it, so that I can make a clear, conscious decision without any speculation of anything. Or not even speculation to me, Susan. It's more than that. It's more than I don't want mm-hmm. to think about mm-hmm. this anymore. So if you lay out for me every graphic detail, I can look at it in a chart or in my notes that I've written down. I can say yes, 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 or no, no, no. And I can go yep. home to my life. And again, for listeners who are like, well, sorry, I don't, I'm not a sexual abuse advocate. That's okay. Mm -hmm. I don't begrudge, I don't begrudge people that, but I also know that like, it's, this is my struggle. Like, I'm glad we're talking about this. This is a struggle for me because, you know, people, people say to me all the time, like, this is too heavy. Mm -hmm. Like, I I couldn't do this work. It's too heavy. And I imagine like in the Brock Turner case, like, you know, there are people who are just like, I, 
I don't get this or like I just wish she remembered mm-hmm. more or I don't understand why she did this or he did this or insert any of the very like common mm-hmm. responses that you get with sexual assault cases, right? And so, but my reaction is, you know, like, I know people don't choose this this profession and that's fine. I mean, God knows I could never be an engineer because <laughs> my brain would be, I mean, utterly useless. I mean, we'd have no infrastructure in this country yep. at all. Like we would all just be like Flintstoning it. Like I, I, you know, like I'm, I'm grateful, but it's also like, one, you'd be surprised, which you can listen mm-hmm. to. You'd be surprised mm-hmm. how you can listen to people. You'd be surprised the support that you can provide. Um, and two, you know, I'm of the mindset, you know, especially on those really tough days when I'm carrying around my huge laundry hamper of dirty, really, really smelly, dirty clothes that, you know, my laundry hamper might not be so heavy if you could listen to this. Right. And that's really tough. And I know that that's going to make people bristle. And I, and understandably so, like, I imagine that if I didn't do this work, it would sound self-righteous at best, (laughs) you know, to hear someone tell me like, you know, like if, if the load were shared a little bit, like maybe I wouldn't have such a tough time at Harris Teeter while I'm checking out my groceries. And I get that. Um, but it's, it's something that I think about and struggle with a lot. You know, if, if folks were more able to listen and more able Mm -hmm. to, to take that story, even if you don't know what to do with it, it's not the knowing what to do with it. There are people like me who know what to do with it, but just the sitting Yeah, don't feel like you have to solve anything. Saying, we just want you there with no, us. No, I, I would recommend that <laughs> you don't. Unless you're trained to do so, you will You will make a mess. With the best intentions, sure. you will make a disaster. So please don't, actually. Please call someone like me or Susan. <laughs> but, um, but to just, if you could just be there as a mannequin that's easy to talk to, mm-hmm. then I don't think people understand the impact that that could have. And more so because... The people, I won't just say women because this is a, this is a multi-gender issue, but the women, this has happened to the women in your life. Mm -hmm. I think that's really hard for people to look around when they go to brunch or when they go, you know, like just like go shopping, right? Like go to Cameron village and just go like pick up some boots. Like the people in those stores, the people at this restaurant have been sexually assaulted. They just have. And I think that's really tough for people to look around and be like, oh, my God, it's everywhere. Yep. You yeah. know, like, oh, my God. Like, and I think maybe, you know, from I've been doing this work for a long time now. And I think, you know, what I've heard from people a lot is like it's it's too much to listen to. But it's also too much to think about how much it's everywhere. It's mm-hmm. too much to think that it could have happened to someone I love and they've just never told me. And I just never thought that it could be, that it could have happened to them. So I never mm-hmm. asked, you know. You can start um, to go down a spiral. I think that's overwhelming for people. And again, I I get that. I imagine if I didn't do this work every day, I would I would feel, I could feel super overwhelmed by it too. Um, but I do, I do wish, I don't want to say it was so taboo because I don't think taboo really covers mm-hmm. it. Um, but I wish it was something that people didn't feel so adverse to for fear of overwhelming. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I think that people can deal with a lot more than they think they oh, can. Oh, absolutely. We're so um, much more capable than we give ourselves credit. So much more capable. And to your point, you know, the, the example that you illustrated with, you know, the two women in the restroom, um, 
that you don't have to do anything. You know, you can call Susan, <laughs> you know, um, you can just listen. Truly just sit there and listen and nod your head and say, okay, thank you for telling yeah. me. And then call a professional, call a somebody else of professionals right. who can deal with it right. from there. I think that too, I think people, um, people with good intentions whom I encounter often are fixers mm-hmm. and no offense to the fixers out there. We need mm-hmm. fixers. I love you fixers out there. I love you. I appreciate you. But this isn't something that necessarily can always be fixed in the moment. Um, And so I think people understandably but mistakenly think that to hear a traumatic story means, okay, well, now I'm it. Right now, I need to. Here's your story. Here you go. I'm it. I people have shared it with me, and now I have to arrest someone, (laughs) or I have to. Can you imagine if citizens arrest? No, truly. (laughs) I mean, truly. Or I have to therapize someone, or I need to go, like you know, do go to Verizon and try to hack into this person's phone to get evidence. Like I need to do all (laughs) of these things, and I need to do them now. I mean, people tell me that they're like, "Well, I just thought that I needed to do all this," and I was like, "No, no." Please just call this number. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You don't have to do anything else in this world. Call this number and the person on this number will tell you on a, in a bulleted list, exactly what you need to be doing right now. I will, I will script it for you. If she says this, you say this. I mean, I will, I will script it for you. (laughs) When people too, I think they don't, as you've said, and we've said talking about this, don't like sitting with the uncomfortable. That's something, you know, for those that have listened to the previous episodes on this podcast, many other podcasts, such as Brene Brown's podcast, various books and TED Talks, all talk about this idea of discomfort is an issue that we like to avoid in this country. It's not an issue. It's a feeling. We have an opioid problem for a reason. We're getting a lot better. We don't like pain. We don't like discomfort. And yet you are a human being who is able to withstand discomfort. It's in our genes. It's in our evolution. We are able to do that. If you just sit and someone shares a very heavy situation that has happened to them with you, you can tag somebody else. You are the, what is the correct word I want to use here? The conduit through which somebody can get the help that they need. You don't have to be the fixer. No. In fact, this is one of those situations I hope to God you don't try to fix it. Because as I said before, lovingly and appreciatively, you will make mm-hmm. a mess. Mm-hmm. <laughs> don't. It's like trying to do electrical work in your house and you literally don't even know how to switch out a battery. <laughs> like why in God's name? You know what I'm saying? Like why in God's name would you try to rewire, yeah. you know, like your own home if you don't even know how to switch out a battery in your smoke detector? Like just like just yeah. don't. Like just be like, you know what? This is really out of my wheelhouse. This is this is the height of my competence, and I'm okay with that. And I'm going to phone a friend. Yep. I'm going to YouTube it. I'm going to call a contractor. Right? Like we would do that. We wouldn't say like, oh my god, there's something wrong with me. I don't know how to like rewire some electrical. Can you tell how ignorant I am about electrical? <laughs> You're like this, way, thing this, this thing in my ceiling. <laughs> I love how I pick things I don't know about to like you know like give an illustration but like you know like I, I wouldn't feel bad like if there was mold in my crawl space I wouldn't be like well I really should get down there and figure out how to fix that like no don't don't go to your crawl space you don't know what the hell yeah. you're doing stay no no yeah. but phone a friend you get are a capable of someone who picking knows what up your doing. phone that's what you're capable and of. that is good and that is good you're doing a good thing for your home you don't want to go in there oh and make gosh, a mess no it's the same thing with people you don't know like you know 
I really don't know what to say in this moment. Then, then don't. don't. <laughs> Call someone. And to say exactly that, right? When someone, when you open the door or someone opens the door into sharing with you a very tough conversation, a heavy conversation, and you don't know what to say, listen to that little voice that might come in and say, hey, you don't know what to say right now. Just say that. Thank you so much for telling me. I love that. I'm not really sure what to say right now, and I want to make sure I don't say something that would make this worse. Right. But just know that I'm here for you. And if you're, you know, if you're... If you love that person in a family way, friend way, romantic way, platonic way, whatever, say that. Like, I love you. I'm here for you. But I don't I don't know what to do right now. So don't mistake my silence for not caring. I just don't know what to say. And that's okay. That's okay. Yeah. Yep. And, you know, I think I misspoke on who it was at the case. I was looking it up while we were talking. I'm pretty sure the episode is the one with Sonia Renee Taylor on Brene Brown's podcast. Uh, I'm trying to remember. It was in September. Anyway, it was talked about with Brene Brown. It was a really good illustration of this idea that we don't need to fix everything. We don't have to know everything to know what to do with it. But just being available Mm -hmm. to share the load, to share the laundry, to help carry it together, be there to fold it afterwards if that's your role in this person's life. But you don't have to fix it. No, we really don't. And we're so bad at that, right? We're so bad at sitting with feelings because they're uncomfortable. And when people are like, oh, these social workers, you know, Susan and Lee, these (laughs) social workers who deal with uncomfortable situations that make me want to vomit all day, every day. Like, what do they know, Right. right? About like sitting with uncomfortable. Let me tell you guys, I mindfulness is a struggle Mm -hmm. for me that's why Brene Brown to me is such a wizard because I'm like what do you mean you You just sit with feeling bad you sit with your uncomfortable grossness all day like (laughs) what do you mean like that sounds terrible to me like it is something that's like like I literally before I meditate I go oh I I audibly say it like oh I gotta do this today like it is not something that I'm like oh my God, I feel so centered. And I just, I know that like this, like, you know, this, this really spiritual and empathetic time is just really going to enliven my day. Like, sure. Afterwards. Great. I feel good. But like, this is not something that I'm like, oh, I just can't wait to get home and meditate. Like, I'm just not Mm -hmm. there yet. I'm not Mm -hmm. there. I'm just like, this is gross. I don't want to do it. I don't want to feel uncomfortable. Let's watch Parks and Rec for the hundredth time. And like, eat some tacos like that sounds way more appealing to me um so I and I think that's the point right like so many times when I hear about mindfulness it's like oh it's this thing that like it's almost like everyone should love Mm -hmm. you know it's like it's hard at first but then you'll love it and it's like well sure like maybe but like maybe I'll still hate it like and that's okay Mm -hmm. you know like and I think it ties back to just like hearing uncomfortable things and and saying uncomfortable things like this isn't necessarily something that like people are expecting to enjoy or that the receiver is expecting to enjoy. Like, I think that people put more pressure, like too much pressure on themselves. Like I have to say something that's going to make this person feel Mm -hmm. good, you know, or like this person, like you actually don't. We're not responsible for how other people people feel. Yeah. And I'm not advocating to go out there and like try to ruin people's days with their stories. (laughs) I'm not saying that. Go drop little bombs on everybody you see. Little bombs and blow up people's 5 PMs all over Raleigh. That's not what I'm saying. But I am saying that like people are uncomfortable all the time. Like I think we take it out of the context of like um, social worky related things, right? Because Brene Brown is, is, you know, a famous social worker that like you're talking about trauma, but it's also like we're uncomfortable Mm -hmm. all the time. 
We're sitting in traffic, we're uncomfortable because we're pissed off because we want to move. We're standing in line somewhere and like we're hungry. Like, give me my food, I want to go. Like, or we have to to go back to laundry. I have to fold this freaking laundry. <laughs> we have I laundry spread laundry, all over you know? our bed like, right now. <laughs> you know, like we're uncomfortable all the time. So it's not it is okay. Like it is okay to feel uncomfortable. Right. And I think that, that that idea is still hard for people, but I think I just think we're more resilient than we think we are. That like you're uncomfortable all the time. You're just mindful of it right yes. now of how uncomfortable yes. you are. That's the only difference. Mm-hmm. Like you've been uncomfortable for two hours. Right. <laughs> I just decided to add some more lighter fluid to that fire. And now yeah. that feels tangible for you. So you say, oh, this is what I don't want to deal with when really it's not that much heavier than what you were dealing with before. Potentially. Correct. It's the now, right? You can't fix mm-hmm. it. You can't mm-hmm. fix it. It's just the sitting and it's hard and it's gross. And I, it's still gross to me. I do this for a living and yes. it's still really gross. As to I me, tell my clients, it's, it's very yucky. It's a yucky feeling. It's a, no, oh, it's a disc. It's, it's a, just a <laughs> uncomfortable, disgusting feeling to have. And yet we might need to change our verbiage around that, right? Like, cause those words are so negative that no wonder people <laughs> right. don't want them. You know, <laughs> you, you got me a little while ago when you were saying things about mindfulness. I have totally said that to my clients before of, hey, have you really ever tried meditating? There's studies that prove that it's helpful. There's yoga right. videos that are proven to be helpful. There's science behind this. It's not just a bunch of woo-woo, which is what I call it, to my clients. Right. And they'll say, you know, yeah, you know, I, I'm sure I could give it a try. I'm sure it's helpful, but I just can't get there yet. And that that's okay, too. Sure. We got to find other ways. But sure. it is this idea that we want to live in a glass house in a beautiful utopia that we've created and pretend like these things don't exist. No, because they're uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Are you, why would I want to think about uncomfortable things? About Right. Answer? I could just, I mean, yeah, yeah you sense. go away. If I remove you, you're the stressor. You're the uncomfortable thing. Sure. I get to go back to living my no, life. Yes. yes. Yeah. Why not? Are you familiar with anything in the metaphysical world? Um, at the risk of sounding even more <laughs> ignorant than I've sounded in this episode, let's just Perfect. say no. Do you, do you know about crystals? I'm sure you know they exist. That was a silly way to ask that. Are you familiar? I, I do know okay, that they great. exist, but I know little to nothing. Uh, I have friends that are very into the metaphysical world and have really got into the healing properties of crystals and gemstones and the mineral properties behind how helpful these can be to have in our home and in our space. So I went to a store probably about six months ago now with someone and doing telehealth therapy was really, really weighing on me because those stories, as you were just sharing, are now coming into my house. Before they were happening at work, it was a Mm -hmm. physical barrier and a line that I could draw that this happens at work, not in my house. Mm -hmm. Well, now it's in my house. So there, 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 when I was there, I was talking with a lady about wanting something that would help protect my energy you know, decrease the amount that I take on and, you know, the amount that I begin to carry and absorb from other people. Mm-hmm. So I wear a hematite bracelet every day. And, mm-hmm. you know, of course, for those of you who are familiar with crystals, you do need to cleanse them. You do need to take care of the items that you have in your home. I'm going to say that it works. I like to believe that it works, even if it's a placebo effect. But properties of hematite is to protect your energy circle, to protect your aura, mm-hmm. to make sure that you aren't taking on negative energy from other people. And that could be something that might be helpful for you and your job. 
Hey, I'm all over it. People are, when people say, and I'm very much like an evidence-based social worker. I don't like doing stuff that haven't, <laughs> that hasn't been evidentiarily proved. I don't, right? Because I don't, like we said earlier, I don't want to make yeah. a mess. Yeah. Like unless this has been peer reviewed, you know, it's a longitudinal <laughs> study. I'm not doing it because I'm not going to I don't know mess, if right? longitudinal studies exist on the properties of hematite, but science <laughs> may say what it is. Well, that's what, and I will say this, if it's for me, here's what I say about stuff that people can scoff at. And let's be honest, people can scoff mm-hmm. at anything, right? Even the stuff that is, you know, evidence-based, peer-reviewed, you know, it's been tried and tried and true proven for decades. People are just like, oh, that's mm-hmm. crap. That doesn't work. Here's what I'll say about it. If it's for me, me personally, me Lee, and it's not going to hurt me to do it. It's not going to cause me physical, cognitive, emotional pain. And it's not going to cause any of those types of pain to other people if mm-hmm. I do it. Who cares? If right. It's That's exactly what who I cares? say. <laughs> if it makes me feel better, who cares? Yep. You know, you ever heard of tap? Oh, yeah. Yeah. People, I mean, we got into a debate a while ago about some colleagues of mine in tap therapy. And then I was like, who cares? I was like, I'm not recommending it for a client. I'm doing it to myself, you know, but like. Who cares if it's placebo? Yeah. Who cares if me cares? tapping on pressure points or points where I feel like I have energy, if that's what you're speaking of? Like the, okay. Yes. You know, correct. on different parts of our body, they're supposed to be highly connected. If it doesn't make sense to you, that doesn't mean it doesn't work for me. And if it doesn't work and I'm just believing that it works so that it works, so yeah, be it. Yeah, that's <laughs> exactly what, what placebos are for. Totally. Exactly. We find that I work under a psychiatrist. And so at work, we work tangibly. We are a very uh, multifaceted office where we work together, a multi- multidisciplinary team at work. Mm-hmm. And I'll have clients that, that are on a take as needed. So it's called a PRN medication for anxiety. What we actually find is handfuls. I don't have scientific data to back this up, but my personal individual experience with my clients, a handful of them don't ever actually end up taking them. The idea of having them is a placebo enough oh, totally. to have them overcome it? So I sort of feel the same way with having, if you believe in the properties of crystals and minerals, it's not hurting anybody. If you want to carry, you know, I carry carnelian or, you know, other, I've hematite bracelet on all the time. Mm-hmm. I don't tell everybody about it. And if it helps me cope and me feel better. Wear a man. Yeah. That's why just wear yep. Who cares? Do what yep. you want to do. Absolutely. How are you feeling today? How am I feeling today? Right now, it's it's funny that you ask. It's the premise of this <laughs> podcast, right? Um, I so me. we're in a pandemic, dur. Um, I recently had um surgery. I've had some joint issues, um, probably for about two years mm-hmm. now. Um, and I'm a former college athlete, so someone for whom exercise has always been a really enjoyable and integral part of of my mm-hmm. life um, did you did you do cheerleading not, in college I yes. cheered at col- in college I did yeah um and so have been able to do that very much over the past um two years to the degree that I would like um and so I've put on a lot of weight and you know people who are listening are like well no shit mm-hmm. we're in a pandemic everyone's gained weight um it's really tough for me. Um, it's really tough for me. And again, people are like, well, of course it's tough to gain mm-hmm. weight. It's, it's, it's really tough for me. It impacts me a lot. Um, and so today I'm not feeling great. 
Mm-hmm. Isn't it funny that you're even asking me that? I'm still struggling to answer it. What a good <laughs> podcast premise, Susan. Really, really nailed it. Um, you're just a good guest to I'm have on here. This is why I reached I, out to you. You're willing to be honest I, and your story deserves to be shared. Thank you. I'm, I'm not feeling, I'm feeling emotionally fine. And I hate like separating them, like our emotional health and our physical wealth are somehow disconnected because they're completely intertwined. So, um, I'm not feeling great about my body today. Just not, um, ate a lot of key lime pie. I freaking love key lime pie. And I ate a lot of it last night. Um, I also had some sparkling grape juice because I mean, why not? Love it. Yeah. You've been Um, sober for two years now. I've been sober for over two years. Congratulations. It's incredible. Thank you. Thank you. So for those of you out there who are um, trying to stick with embark on sobriety or just really want some sparkling grape juice, because I'll be honest with you, if you haven't had it in a while, you'll remember why you liked it so much. It's It's good. Add some cranberry to that. Um, I'm in. Oh, girl. Mm -hmm. A little Mm -hmm. lime wedge. Get wild. Yeah, do it. Um, So Welch's actually makes a sparkling (laughs) rosé. Which, Welch is getting you, fancy. Tastes, tastes, tastes remarkably like actual Talk rose. about placebo effect. Um, I, girl, <laughs> I, that's what I'm telling you. A mocktail, I love a mocktail. I'm like, if this is going to take away a craving for alcohol, Sign I will me up. just get really wild. I'll get some fresh <laughs> ingredients. I'll start squeezing, mixing, sprinkling. Like, I'll do what I need to do. Um, yeah, and so I was doing a lot of that. And I'm, I'm a person who... Even if I'm, you know how, so, okay, you know how dogs, I don't know if you've ever heard this, but dogs don't have a difference between anxious, anxious, excited, and happy, excited. Maybe, yeah. Uh Uh-huh. Have you ever heard that? So, like, a dog's excitement is always anxious because they don't, they're either content or they're excited. And they don't differentiate between, like, happy, excited, like, I'm looking forward to this because they cognitively can't do that. They're not there, yeah. So if they're excited, they're panicked, right? Why are they're we like, excited? What's happening? <laughs> what are we doing? Why are we yelling? Are we going to die? Right? Like that's like, that's <laughs> that is so are. funny like, that you say like- that we have some really good friends who got a little dog <laughs> two years ago and he was a rescue and, you know, went through some trauma. And so every loud noise causes him to flinch. So every loud noise we say panic because that's how he no, reacts. <laughs> so Jean Raffio is. I'm still in training in our house training, but he's finished training with um, this dog trainer who came very highly recommended in Raleigh. It's like a professional dog trainer, like a strange service dogs, like the whole, the whole thing like been doing, this is like what he does. Right. And he was like, your dog is not happy, excited ever. And I was like, yes, he is. Like I'm projecting (laughs) that I'm I'm happy. I'm like, I'm like, Jean Rapio is elated when I come through the door he was like no no when you come through the door yelling like I'm and squealing that John Raffio hi my angel like pick him up he is terrified he's like what is happening are we gonna die what's like do do I need to protect you are you in are you in danger like am I in danger like you're freaking him out stop which I still struggle with because I'm like I think he loves me and he's just excited right to home. but I try to calm down but anyway long long anecdote but I'm one of those people if I'm excited about something I am both excited elated like grinning happy laughing I'm also panicked my my emotional regulation does not allow for a separation between the two as such if I feel excited I feel really anxious 
And when I feel anxious, I eat Mm -hmm. because I don't like to sit with Mm -hmm. it. (laughs) I don't like to sit with it. I don't like to sit with this anxious feeling because there's nothing I can do about it. I'm just sitting here in my home. I have nothing to do. I can't fix this feeling of something impending that's about to happen. It's either going to happen or it ain't. Mm -hmm. You know, there's nothing I can do about it. But I don't like that. (laughs) So I eat as many people do. And when I eat to try to quell that anxiety, and I'm sure people listening are like, oh my God, this is the oldest story ever told. I feel bad about myself. Shocking, Mm -hmm. right? Because I have eaten to quell an emotional reaction. Hence, the weight gain in the pandemic. So... Um, yeah, I was feeling really bad about myself last night, really, really bad about myself, like almost to tears, not because I'm under any illusion that eating, although it was enormous, a piece of key lime pie and drinking a considerable amount, considerable amounts of a Welsh's sparkling rosé <laughs> bottle helped me lose weight, um, that it didn't transform me a hundred pounds overnight. Right. Um, but it felt like it, it felt like it, it felt like it last night, it felt like it this morning and so when I say I don't feel great, I don't feel great for two reasons. One, I just don't feel great because I feel like I overate. Mm-hmm. And so I feel chubby and I feel like I gained a hundred pounds overnight, even though right. I didn't. Um, but I also feel ashamed of feeling that way. What a nasty um, cycle to because, be in. Right. Hence anxiety, guys. Welcome to it. Um, it is cyclical, mm-hmm. which is why it's very annoying and tough to combat sometimes is because it requires... <gasps> Sitting yeah. with it. Well, and remembering too that <laughs> to break the cycle. But I think what happens is when we go to sit with it, our first reaction for those of us that maybe haven't had experience in therapy or haven't gained this awareness and understanding is that those feelings are permanent. That they're not yes. going to go away when newsflash to everyone. If no one's ever told you this, I will tell you now. Feelings are temporary. Yes. You have feelings all day, every day. And they last a couple seconds. They may last longer. But if you can bring yourself to sit with it, even if it's just for a couple minutes to begin to develop this ability to sit longer, right? A tolerance. You might be able to get through that feeling. Yes. And actually, you will. Like, yeah. Chances (laughs) are you will. You absolutely will. You do it all day. You just don't sit with it and monitor it and you know, try to explore Mm -hmm. it, but you do it all the Mm -hmm. time. Um, so yeah, I don't, um, I I feel ashamed of that because I, I don't want to be a person who, regardless of my weight, right. Whether I'm, you know, as, as thin and fit as I was in college, or I'm as, how can I say this? Not thin and not as I am right now. I don't want that to be the basis for how I feel about myself. I don't, I don't want that to be the basis for, my, um, my evaluation of my value. I don't, I, I, I don't want to say hate because hate is so t- such a tough word, but I hate it. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I don't want that to be true. Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't want that to be true for anyone, but especially women in this right. country. I don't, I don't want that to be true, but it is. And it's again, to say gross, it's gross <laughs> that I feel it like that because I don't want other people to feel yeah. like that, you know, but I really, well, that's do. a difficult I dichotomy really that, like that you have the awareness to know about yourself and just about the difficulties with, uh, disordered eating and struggling with body image. And then you're going yeah. through it yourself. Like you have this education and this understanding and you're like, yeah, I know the tools. I know X, Y, and Z, 
yet I'm not mm-hmm. doing some of those things. So now I shame myself because I should know better than to do those things and to have these feelings. Does that make right. sense? The famous should, yes. right? I know it, so I should do it. To which I respond, this is my favorite, again, sounds a bit trite, but like my favorite social work saying that I say to people, oh, if it were that easy, you would have done it already. I love that. If it were that easy, girl, you would have done it already and you wouldn't be talking to me. I love that. I say a similar phrase, but change. I'll say, if it were that easy, I wouldn't have a job. Yeah. I wouldn't be here. Hello. Yeah. If we all did the things that we know we're supposed to do, you and I wouldn't have jobs. Right. Right. If we all knew that we weren't supposed to get blackout drunk, we wouldn't have jobs. <laughs> if we all knew that we were supposed to exercise and meditate every day, you get you and I would have or jobs. that we did it. If we, we know it and then we did it. But we can't Correct. it struggles the English. We struggle around follow through. Absolutely. Or like if we knew that we weren't supposed to be passive aggressive to our partners oh my gosh, yeah. when they don't fold their laundry. Oh my gosh, yeah. Social workers wouldn't have jobs, you know? <laughs> if we knew that if we felt angry about our partners not folding the laundry, we could just express to them, hey, I'm feeling frustrated that you didn't fold the laundry, but I also know that I'm not a perfect person. So let's work yeah. through that. If we all said that every time we felt frustrated at what our a partners, world. we wouldn't have any partner conflict, nope. would we? What a world we would live because in. we would just say it. What, what right. a world. You know, right? I'm right there with you that if we did those things, if it were that easy, the world would look different. Oh, you said, but we're all human, Right. So what makes you any different? Just because you have the knowledge and awareness, you are still just as human as the person next to you. So we're still impacted and react the same way. It makes me think about the Netflix documentary, um, The Social Dilemma one. Have you watched Mm -hmm. it? I have. Do you know which part I'm referencing about the CEO from Pinterest who says – they all took that marketing class, the human behavior marketing class on how to market yeah. their apps and these programs to the public, knowing they are addictive. He felt as though, oh, yes. oh, because I know that this is addictive and I know what this is designed to do, I will be immune. That will not happen to me. Correct. And lo and behold, mm-hmm. it happened to him because you're human. Yes. And, at, you know, when the when these these creators, you know, of various various apps, various streaming services, you know, they come on and they say like, I don't let my kids do yep. any of this. Like you literally created this yep. and you won't even use because it. Because like, they know. That's exactly volumes. because they know. Exactly. Right. Um, I know. Yeah. That I, I do, I do struggle with that. I do struggle with it because I, you know, I am very much and have always been a person who puts a lot of emphasis on her physical mm-hmm. appearance. Um, and again, I, I hate, I hate saying this because I I don't like that it's true, but it Mm -hmm. is true. Um, And so I I don't like that overeating once would have such an impact Mm -hmm. on me um, in 24 hours, but it really does. Um, Yeah. Yeah. And I, you know, I I don't want anyone else to feel like that, but I also know that like, that is not, I, I rationally know that that is not directly reflective of my worth as a person. Um, I know that there are people in my life whom I love who are of various shapes and sizes and their, their size fluctuations don't impact <laughs> my Not relationship to them at, at all. all, right? Like I rationally know that I rationally know that you, Susan, if you were my height, I would not feel any 
more affection towards you. I just wouldn't. <laughs> like if you grew six inches, that would be, be like, a miracle. Oh, well, now we're now we're really gonna be close right. friends. Like now that she's got these six inches, like it's really it's it's um it's a lot better for me. It's really gonna it's really gonna impact us. She's not right. right. Like and and we know that in our relationships. Like we know it's just it's just not like we are who we are regardless of our weight, regardless of our moods. We, we are who we are, notwithstanding a lot of external mm-hmm. variations and factors. Um, but man, that is tough for me. It is really tough for yeah. me. It is, yeah. How are you coping with that at this stage? Well, I tried to choke down some vegetables with breakfast this morning. In your omelet? I saw <laughs> I was, that. I did, right? And everyone who's like actually eats healthily <laughs> is like, this bitch is talking about having an omelet and like being healthy. I'm like, and to you, I say thank you for being stronger than I and baby Correct. steps. Correct. Well, and okay? I had some you know, uh, taste buds are different. <laughs> taste buds are different, girl. So yeah, so I'm. I I mean, back to what you said, right? I know what to do, right? I've been to a nutritionist. I've been in therapy. Like we know, we're gonna meditate. We're gonna. <laughs> are you really? Limit. No, I mean, yeah. <laughs> My partner's gonna perfect. Make me. I mean, now that I told him, he's like, gonna hold he's you gonna, accountable. Oh, he's. He is the accountability police. I love like it. if I speak something out to him, he's like, "All right, well, you said it now, so now yep. we're doing it." Or I might journal. I'm a person for whom journaling really That's helps awesome. you with mindfulness. Some people are like, "I would rather run over my own foot with my car yep. than journal." But it really, it really works for me when, when the meditation is just like, mm-hmm. like truly, like I would rather scrub my bathroom than meditate right now. Journaling really is a good intermediate intermediary activity for me. So. That actually sounds much more appealing to me today, so that might be what I do. Um, but yeah, just like limited screen screen time, like going mm-hmm. outside, taking walks, not necessarily for exercise, not to try to, you know, exercise our way out of it. As I say, you can't do right. that; it doesn't work. It just creates I mean, another nasty cycle. It works momentarily, and I'm not saying exercise isn't healthy. Everyone should exercise if they can, but it doesn't negate. It's not a zero-sum game. One doesn't cancel out the other as much as we might want it to. Um, so you'll get physical you know, movement, um, which is healthy to keep your body lively. Movement. We're, we're going to try to do mindfulness in a way that doesn't make us want to gag, which for me is journaling Perfect. today. We're going to not scroll Instagram for 12 Good hours, call. which I also have a propensity mm-hmm. to do. Um, and we're going to eat foods that, as my nutritionists say, are not that we should eat, but that are good for our yep. bodies. Yeah. Eat stuff that you like to eat that is going to make your body feel I love good that. after you eat I think them. that's the most so, the, yeah. the most appropriate way to say it. I have so many clients that will come in and say, I've heard that that's a bad food. I was told that's uh, a bad food. I don't know that this is clinically appropriate, so I'm going to take my clinician hat off to say this. I will right. say at times when I feel that it's appropriate, I'll say, unless you're eating the couch cushions, there's no such thing as bad food. If it's food. There isn't. Is it food or is it edible? Are you able to eat it? Is it digestible? Not harmful? Yes. Great. Eat it. Right. One of the most impactful things my nutritionist said to me once is she was like, um, you know, food is not a reward or a punishment. Mm-hmm. And I was like, you're like, what? I mean, like brain matter just everywhere. <laughs> I was like, what the hell do you mean? It's not a reward. And she was like, no, what do you mean? She was like, food is food. It's not a gift. It's not a reward. You know, like you give your dog treats. She's like, you're not a dog. You know, like you don't get treats for doing something good. You know? She was like, it's not a treat. Like, it's not a reward. It's also not a right. punishment. You know, 
oh, I didn't exercise today, so I can't have this. Like, I shouldn't have this, right? Like, she was like, one does not negate the right. other. It is not good or bad. It is not a reward or a punishment. Your body needs nutritious, healthy food to survive. But that is it. She was like, this value judgment about food mm -hmm. is your problem. It's not what you're doing. It's why you're doing right. it. That's why you're here with me. And I was like, oh. Cool. Like, she was like, yeah. It's it's the it's the good and the bad. It's the last night when after I ate that pie, it's the shitting, right? It's the shitting that got me. Like I shouldn't have eaten that because now I'm gonna get fat. Yep. Right. That's that's what caused the feel like yep. shit or feel what did I say? What did I say very neutrally? Like, I feel not great. <laughs> yeah. You know, like that's what it was. It wasn't the key lime no. pie, you know? I'll just won't eat key lime pie for a week and eat some vegetables and we're good. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Like it wasn't that. It's the it's the shitting. It's the why I did it and then how I thought about mm -hmm. it afterwards. The so self-blame, the negative self-talk, the self-doubt, sure. you know. For sure. So all you listeners out there, I heard this from my nutritionist. So if you're saying like, Lee isn't qualified to say that, someone who is qualified to say it, <laughs> say it to me. So how about that? That food is not a reward or a punishment. So stop it. Well, <laughs> Look at us preaching over we're here. We're trying. We're trying. <laughs> Thank you, Lee, for feeling like you could come today and share your story, your experiences with really difficult and hard topics such as child sexual abuse, sexual assault, neglect, any form of abuse in the population that you work with and talking to us about your own personal struggles with body image and disordered eating. Those are really difficult things. And I can imagine that this last year has not helped. No, it's really tough. It's really tough to get over that stuff when, again, there's no distraction, right? You can either be mindful with it or you can obsess over mm -hmm. it because um, I'm lacking my typical amount of external stimuli to distract me from it. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, one day again, we'll get some of that external stimuli. We can meet up together yes. without masks <laughs> in a public place, get a nice smoothie we will. Ugh, and sit yeah. outside together. Absolutely. I would like well, that. thank you so much for coming on here today. Thank you for having yeah, me. Yeah, yeah. We'll be sure to link um, resource websites for individuals who may feel like they need to report mm -hmm. or feel like they've experienced any of the topics that we've talked about. We'll be sure to link some resources for you in the episode notes. Absolutely. There are tons of them, guys. So look for yes. them. Well, please. They're out there. Please keep taking care of yourself today and always, of <laughs> Thank course. You. Thank you. Thank and I'll talk Thank to you, you soon. Thanks, Susan. Thank you for listening to I've Been Better. I'm your host, Susan Youngstead. Please be sure to leave a review and subscribe wherever you consume podcasts. And follow us on social media at I've Been Better. Pod.